Good morning. Welcome to Into One Community Church. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, there we go. All right. Hey, that was the start. I hope you had a chance to read it. I know we get a little distracted sometimes and we're having such a good time talking to each other, and that's fantastic. That is the church. I'm not against that at all. But this is a great start to a new year. This video that we just played here told us about words and the words that we have the power to speak to other people, the love that we can show them, the power that encouragement can bring, all those things, vitally important, entirely true. And I want to add a new dimension for you this morning. And this new dimension is going to be tell yourself the truth. Okay, so the words that we use are important for other people, but they're also tremendously important to you. The words that you say to you matter. And we, we have a habit of getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror and telling ourselves lies. We get up and we say things that are not true about ourselves, but we feel, I'm lousy, I'm no good, I'm not pretty, I'm not good enough for those other people, my hair is wrong, my ears are wrong, and we start the day like that. And I want to challenge you this year as we go forward to start your day by telling yourself the truth. And the truth that I want to tell you today, this first part is uh, for you to look at, but for you to repeat and to say as well. So the first thing is, I want you to be able to say these things out loud. Because sometimes we read things and they don't sound the same to us as saying them out loud. So start off today, tell yourself the truth. What is the truth about you? Next slide. What is the truth? I am the salt of the earth. Yeah, and you see, this is exactly the problem we have. I tell you, I'm no good, I'm a failure, I can't do anything right. But this comes to it. I am the salt of the earth. That is not something that we've made up. It is something that Jesus has told us. And he told us this in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. And when the salt in that culture means something different than something you're trying to lower in your diet, right? That's what we think of salt now. I've gotten too much salt, got to cut it back. Salt of the earth here. You are the flavor. You are the seasoning. You are the spice of life. And in this culture, you are the preservative. What stops this culture from spiraling down into chaos, sin, and death? You do. So when you look around and you say, I don't like the way things are going. I don't like the way the government does this. I don't like the way. Remember, you are the salt of the earth. You bring flavor. You bring spice. You bring a preservative quality that helps and enhances. This week, remember, tell yourself the truth. You are the salt of the earth. We are starting a new series today, which is always a chance for you to say, Woo-hoo! I know you're so excited. It's awesome. Um, when you go on any sort of an extended journey or an adventure or an expedition, you, you start with a base camp. And a base camp is where you set up and then you can go forward from there. And so on this road trip, in earnest pursuit of Christ, we are being brought together into one. We have hope and freedom and the love of Jesus. That's, our, that's been our rallying cry. That's been our focusing kind of statement. We've been using that. So a base camp is a safe place to start from. Again and again 
And again, it's something to build on. It's not the whole thing, but it will set the direction. It sets the tone for the journey. And everything, everything about how we move in life has a starting point. So some of you started on purpose. Some of you were started by accident. But we're, we're glad you're here anyways, right? Anyone know the accident? Um, romance has a starting point. You think back to that first time, that first Twitter-pated feeling, that first butterflies-in-the-stomach kind of, ooh, the special one just came by. Your career had a starting point. Your marriage had a starting point. Your education had a starting point. Your hobbies, your interests, your passions, they all have starting points. But sometimes we forget that our faith has a starting point as well. So if you want to follow along with what we're going to be doing, you've got the notes, that maybe you picked them up on the way in. We've got some notes on the screen for you here. And you can also follow along in your web-enabled smartphone, or actually, it doesn't need to be web-enabled, right? We have Wi-Fi. This place is awesome. We've got Wi-Fi. You can follow along with a free app called Uversion. You tap in the bottom right corner for more, and you look under events, and you can look up into one, Community Church, and all of our notes will be there. You can follow along that way. The announcements are there. There's an online giving link there. There is um, the, the scripture passages that we're going to look at. So you will be able to have them. And if you want to take notes digitally, you can do it on there as well. If you like to take notes physically, you can do it on one of the pieces of paper. So if you like to give online, again, there's a link there. If you're more of a paper kind of person, we've got envelopes at the back and our brand new black a mailbox that you can put the, uh, the information like that into. And we'd be uh, happy to make sure that you're charitably receipted for that. So your faith has a starting point. And it could have been in your childhood. It might have been in, in high school. It could have been last month. Heck, it could be this month. It, it might have started with a conversation with a parent. Or maybe you were at camp and you had a, a counselor there that you had a conversation with and that really helped you. Maybe you got the, the, the time to be able to speak to your pastor or a priest or, or even a rabbi, somebody like that who could help you start this journey. But at some point, something happened. Or, or maybe it is happening right now. And then you were given these, these building blocks and you've cobbled them together. And you put stuff together that came from your own experiences. You, you put it into this box that you're making. And you took some of what your friends say and you, you put that in the box there. And then you saw that show on TV or that movie that had some spiritual stuff in it. Oop, just put that in my box as well. And maybe you, you heard some stuff that a pastor told you and you took that one and very reverently put that in the box. Of course, that one's different, right? You read a book and there's something in there that... Just stuck. We put that in the box. And this is how we're going forward. And you heard that song. Oh, that song. The way they said that thing about that. Put that in my box. And we're building this thing. And we mix in there some of our joys. Put them in there. And we took some of our sorrows. And we mix it all in there together. And, and you, you mix that with some truth. You mixed it up with a little bit of conjecture. Some stuff that you, well, I don't know. But I think. We put it in there. And this is how most of us have been building our DIY faith journey. That's how it works for most people, certainly in North America. For many of us, the framework for faith looked a little something like this. And you, you probably have heard these phrases. The first one is that God is good. And it might have come in that pre-meal prayer time, you know, God is good and God is great. 
and we thank him for our food. And it has to have a rhythm. Like you had to kind of move a little bit with it. And that was part of that foundation of faith. The next one, maybe you heard somewhere along the line that God punishes evil and rewards good. And you better be a good little girl because Santa, I mean God, is always watching. He's always watching you. And depending on the nature of the religion that you grew up with, in, or around, maybe the rewards and punishments that could have been all kinds of different things. And maybe some of those things that other people told you about, maybe those things scared you to death. And maybe in your tradition, they tried to scare you into obedience and to scare you into agreeing to things that you didn't really understand. And maybe they tried to scare that out of you so that you could be a good person. The next part of that framework, I think, is that God answers prayer. And regardless of your faith tradition, whatever, whatever brand you put on the front of that, part of the foundation, part of that faith foundation, that framework that we were taught is that you can talk to God. And God listens. And he'll do something about it. If you've heard any of these ideas before, then you can call that a starting point for faith. When I was growing up, I was also told that God speaks. And then I was taught about this young guy named Samuel who went to study under a priest whose name was Eli. And one night Samuel was lying in bed and he hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel. And so he gets up and he runs over to Eli and he says, Eli, what is it? And Eli says, huh, what? I didn't call you, go back to bed. And then it happens a couple of times. And finally Eli says, Samuel, the next time you hear your name, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back to bed, and sure enough, it was God speaking. So, of course, that story gets locked into our faith foundation, and then we're not sure how we feel about the idea about God speaking to us in the middle of the night, alone, in our room, in the dark with lots of shadows. And we say, please, God, speak during the day. During the day, please, when, when my friends are around or there's someone who I can check with is there because I really don't want the plastic sheets back on my bed. And, th and then we get older. And everything that we just accepted as kids, well, it, it becomes trickier to figure out. When we're adults, it, it just doesn't make sense the same way as it did when we were kids. And we grow up, and, and of course, we believe things differently. And our faith does not grow up well for most of us in North America. We have a way of sort of taking what we had in the past, leaving it there, and figuring it'll be okay by itself. I don't need to take care of that. One of my favorite authors is Eugene Peterson. And he said this. He said, the way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It requires an active participation in following Jesus. Active participation. Active goes beyond attendance. Active means engagement. Here's another great thought from uh, Derek Vreeland. If we move right from the gospel to action, we run the risk of legalism or behavior modification, skipping the needed process of formation. So, what are you doing 
to develop? What, what are you engaged in that builds, that enhances your spiritual formation? What steps are you taking? Listening? Listening can be part. But there's more. There's, there's, there's got to be something that you engage with, something that you do, some part of it that you put in your hands and say, I will make this choice. So one of those things that I'm liking, I'm liking, one of the things that I would like to offer you is an experience that I'm, I feel God has been pushing on me lately for a while. And because I don't want to just hog that to myself, I wanted to share that with you. And so what I have been trying to do on Wednesdays between 12 and 1 is to pause for a time of silence and stillness and prayer. And I will tell you, it is difficult to do it. But I'm always glad at the end of the time. I am better at the end than I was when I started. God has met with me every single time. And it's not about a lightning bolt or a thundering bass kind of. It is a calm peace that is there. And so I'd like to welcome you to be a part of that. To come here. To use this place as a reverie, revered, revered, sacred space. And if you can't come at that time, I understand that's okay. You can try to do it another time. And if you really want to do it another time and you'd like to come here to do it, call me. I'll make it happen. All right? We want this building to be used for something more. But this is about spiritual formation. It's the journey. What are you doing? What have you grabbed onto to say, I will take another step? Because the challenge that we come to is that if our spiritual formation is neglected or, or avoided, our faith and this is the challenge we get into all the time. Our faith seems like it cannot handle the advanced level stresses and pressures of adult life. This is what goes wrong for so many people. The stresses and the thinking patterns grow up. You're, you're more stressed than you were when you were a child. The way you think is, is different than when you were a child. But for so many of us, our faith never did. It never matured. It never changed. It just, I heard Noah then. That's the last time I ever thought about Noah. Noah's about animals. Well, Noah's really not about animals. It's about a whole lot more. But we never developed our spirituality. So now it feels unequal to the tasks that we've asked it to perform. The stories that meant so much at one time just seemed to fall apart. The foundation that we thought was, was so firm just seems to not support us the way it once did. It seems less firm. It, it feels like there's, well, there's just new angles that I didn't think of before. There, there's a whole lot more, yeah, but, and God is good. But there's so many things that happen in this world that God didn't seem to do anything about. This is not the way I'd be running things if I was God. God, where are you? God, I was taught that you are good. And I want to believe that you are good. But honestly... I'm having a tough time reconciling all this bad in the world. God, I, I, I've heard that you reward good and you punish bad. But I, but I have been good. And I've seen good. And the good didn't seem to get anything. And, and, and I've seen so much bad. And it seems that the bad goes unpunished. And sometimes it even seems like the bad is being rewarded. Well, how can you be God? You know what, God, I would do things so much differently. I would do things so much better than you. And I've been good. 
I've done things that I thought that you should be rewarding. But how come my marriage didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to? And people said that if I do the right things, then the right things would happen. Well, I did the right things. But the right things didn't happen. How come? God, God, I thought you were into answering prayers. You didn't answer my prayer. You didn't answer my mom's prayer about my brother. My mama, she's so godly. She's one of the best people I know. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And all that, well, it still happened to my brother anyway. So God, I'm not sure what to do with all this experience placed up against all the God promises that I heard when I was younger. Sometimes that childhood faith that started off so clear and so hopeful and maybe even passionate runs up against the rigors and pressures of adulthood and life just kept chipping away at it. And for some, it keeps chipping away until faith doesn't exist at all. Maybe the whole reason that you're here is that you're hoping that I'll say something. You're, you're hoping that, you, that, that you'll hear something that could reignite that faith that, that you really left behind quite a long time ago. Or even the faith that now is trying so desperately to begin. One more quote. Karen Armstrong, in her book, The Case for God, she says, Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. And not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. As everything around us matured, our view of God didn't. It just sort of stayed static because we didn't engage with it. We thought it would just take care of itself. Somebody would tell me what I need to know. I'll just be able to hear. And as we grew up, the way that we remembered or, or considered the lessons of the Bible as stories for kids, we don't know what to do with them now. We never learned their adult level impact. And so Noah continues to be a story about animals. And Adam and Eve continues to be a story about naked people in a garden. Huh, that's kind of entertaining. And there was this gap between what we experienced and what we were told to believe. We didn't mean to leave faith behind. We never made a decision to not believe. We never made a decision to, to radically adjust our behavior or the morals that we were taught. It, it didn't take effort to change. It just took the lack of effort to stop it from happening. Spiritual formation is essential and it takes time and it takes effort. So be faithful. True success especially in things of faith, is about consistency in the small things rather than sporadically achieving big things, spiritual high. Maybe you were struggling as a parent when you were reading some of those stories. You're trying to read those stories. The stories that you t were told were so important. And you're, you're reading them to your kids. And maybe you're thinking, even as you read them, yeah, yeah, I don't know about this. 
I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know what I'm supposed to be hearing in this story. So that's why we're doing this. That's why we're focusing on this stuff now. We're going to build a base camp, a foundation, a starting point, or a restarting point for faith. And that's what we're going to try and do together, to build our base camp together. Because part of spirituality and formation really happens in community. We talk about personal faith a lot, but corporate faith is one of the most powerful things. But we kind of keep trying to keep it just to me. I don't really want you to know how I feel or what I struggle with or what's difficult or what my highs or my lows are. I just, I'll just keep it to myself. Let's do this together. Let's build this starting point for faith for all of us together. So if we're going to do that, where would we start if we had never heard anything before? It's pretty hard to imagine that, right? Where would we take our friends who have different or mixed up or, or incomplete views of God? What if we had never read the Bible? What if we had never gone to church? Instead of just assuming that it's all so clear, let's work to launch together to start off this year, to start off this section of our lives in a new way. So where would we start if this was all new? We're going to go on this road trip together. And as we do it, you're going to hear some new things. You're going to hear some challenging things. And we will hear some things that I'm sure you've heard before. And we're going to work to try and take some of the gaps that exist for many and see if we can't close some of those gaps. We're going to try and approach this a little bit differently than you did as a child. Starting off faith as an adult is very different than starting off faith as a child. They, just, they don't have the same starting points. So here's part of the problem. When we were growing up, we were taught about the Bible. The way we were taught about the Bible can be problematic. Is there a Bible here? Does anyone actually own a Bible? Did anyone bring a Bible today that's not in a phone? Oh, we got a Bible. That's what it looks like. For those of you who have never seen one before, that's an excellent model. It's got the gold edge on the side, which is, of course, very biblical. It's got the red, thank you, red silk ribbon in the middle so that you can remember that place that you didn't actually read anything, but it makes it look like you're reading it right now, right? If you grew up in a culture like I did, and I heard that that thing right there was the Word of God, and I've always more or less believed that. I heard that it was infallible, and I believed that. I heard that it was inerrant, and I believed that. No errors, no mistakes. I heard that it was all inspired from Genesis to maps. I believed that. Adam and Eve and Joseph and Noah and Jesus and the wise men and Peter and Jesus coming back again. and It's all inspired. It's all true and it's all equal. Unfortunately, the way I was taught was that the Bible was always presented to me as a book, which it is not. It was presented to me always as one holistic unit, which it is not. Because most of us have no idea where this thing even came from. It was just a house of cards, right? All someone had to do was pull out one or two of those foundational pieces and suddenly the whole thing comes tumbling down. If not one, then the whole thing goes out, right? So we went off to college and we discovered that even though this book is sacred, you know what? It's not scientific. And even though there's something to appreciate in the literature that you would read here, you, you need not find any facts in it. 
And even though there were stories in here that might be inspirational, well, they weren't necessarily true. And, and as we experienced life, there began to be greater and greater distances between what we had heard and what we had seen. And even if you grew up in a home where this book was treated as sacred, you very rarely saw anybody ever read it. And maybe you went to a, a church where people would read from this week after week after week, but, but you never got any real understanding from it. And then as you grew up, you went into another environment. And that environment didn't respect it. And that felt weird to you. But it just was. That's just the way things were. And, and some people don't think much of the Bible. And those people influenced you. And all these things helped to start the fade and the blur from the focus that was your faith's starting point. So here's what we're going to do for the next little bit. Stop and think before you get upset, okay? Just give you that warning up ahead. Uh, stop and hear what I'm trying to say, and don't just try and soundbite this moment. Understand what I'm saying. But this is going to be a starting place for us that we're going to come back to. The phrase, the Bible says, is not an adequate starting point or returning place for many adults. It just doesn't accomplish what we want it to accomplish. For many adults... They hear the Bible says is just intellectual circular reasoning or, or cheating. Why do I care what the Bible says if I don't care what the Bible says, right? Here's the good news, though. What we're going to do is we're going to build our base camp on this road trip that we are on together. And in that, you need to understand that the Bible says was never intended to be the starting point for the Christian faith. Gasps. Shock, awe. Oh, did he say that about the Bible? The Bible says, or the Bible teaches, had nothing to do with the starting point of Christianity. And it's become kind of a lazy shorthand to talk to our culture. To use it kind of like a club or a stick. Something to poke people with. And it assumes many things are true that just aren't true anymore. That has nothing to do with the character and content of the Bible. That has to do with the way that it's seen. And it, when we say the Bible says, that assumes that there's a shared respect. There's a shared knowledge. There's a shared belief in God. But those things no longer exist. So to say, well, the Bible says, is not a great starting point. It's not compelling. And it becomes argumentative. So what we're going to do today and what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks, and this is going to be fun, so don't worry, you can put on your thinking cap. And if you're a skeptic, you could have a friend that's a skeptic, you might have to think some new thoughts. For those of you who are hoping to hear something or learn something that ignites faith and passionate agreement, I hope, I hope that you're going to be pleasantly surprised today and over the rest of the base camp series. For those of you who feel a little bit unsteady, and if I was to ask you questions, you, you would feel hesitant to answer. You feel a little bit insecure about this stuff. This stuff that you say you believe in, but you don't feel solid on it. Well, hopefully we're going to help out there also. So, I'm excited about this. Are you? Well, you should be. Uh, here's the thing. The New Testament. The New Testament, and that's where we get most of our information about Jesus and the Apostle Paul and Peter and Luke and the early church, all that sort of stuff. The New Testament wasn't put together for about 350 years after the events of Jesus' life. The phrase, 
the New Testament or the New Covenant doesn't even show up until about 250 years. You remember that the Bible, the way we have it, is made up of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So for at least the first 250 years of Christianity, nobody could say, well, the New Testament says there was no New Testament. There was, there was a bunch of documents. There was a lot of letters. And there was some, a bunch of Gospels that were being passed around. But for the first 300 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of people became followers of Jesus, but not because the Bible says. There was no Bible to say anything. There was an Old Testament, but even the Old Testament, if you ask somebody who studied the Old Testament, they will tell you it's not a thing. It's a lump together. And we call it now sometimes, you know, just call the whole thing the Torah. Um, but it's also made up of a whole bunch of numerous separate parts put together so that we can store it together. When the Christians gathered together, no one could say, all right, and now open your Bibles. Christians, um, they gathered together and they had extraordinary faith. The faith that they had would just dwarf us when we consider what they were willing to do to just live out their faith. The extent that they went to just to follow Jesus distances us from them so quickly. They believed, they took action. But again, in those first couple of hundred years, that vibrant, dynamic, awe-inspiring, active, growing faith had nothing to do with that thing that we now refer to as the Word of God. So here's a great question. If that's true, and it is, then what was their starting point? What can we add into our base camp from them? How did they come to faith in Jesus? How did they come to faith in a risen Savior who was Lord of their lives and Lord of the world? How did they become Christians if there was no Bible? For some people, we're going to need to have a starting point that's going to have to be this starting point. We'll have to add this into that essential system that we will build and we're going to take with us. We're going to travel with us so that we can come back to this again and again. So today we're going to listen in on a conversation between the Apostle Paul and a group of people who knew nothing about Jesus. They had never even heard of Jesus. And so if you want to look this up on your calendar, you flip back and back and back a little bit, you'll find that this is going to take place about 20 years after the events of Jesus' life. We're going to read what is a verified historical document. And it's been added into a collection of verified historical documents and letters. And we, we call that collection of individual documents, we call that the New Testament. It is a section from the book of Acts, and we're not going to be reading the Bible. We're going to be reading a travel journal from a doctor whose name is Luke. And he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And he was there, and he was watching, and he took notes as they were there, as he traveled around, as the Apostle Paul went all around the Mediterranean Rim creating churches. This stuff that we're going to look at takes place before the book of Matthew or the book of Mark, probably even the Gospel of Luke or the book of John were even written. The Gospel of Luke might have been in some sort of note form at this point, but none of those documents had ever come into existence. There was no New Testament. There was no way to refer back to what Jesus said two chapters ago. The Apostle Paul was a man who knew what he knew, not because he read it, 
but because of who he knew. He knew Peter, and he knew John, and he knew James, the brother of Jesus. And and what Paul knew about Jesus came from the people who were there. They all lived at the same time in history before any of this was documented. And you might not know this, but you should know it. So let me tell you, the writings of the Apostle Paul predate the writing of the Gospels. Paul wrote around 53, 54 AD, and nobody disputes that. There's no dispute that there's a historical figure named Paul. Everybody believes that he wrote a bunch of letters. There's some debate about how many letters he wrote and some discussion about what he did or didn't write, but there is no doubt regarding the primary epistles. He wrote them in the early 50s, just following the events that are recorded in the Gospels. Paul did not learn what he learned about Jesus from the Bible. He learned what he knew about Jesus from the people who knew Jesus. So one afternoon, he finds himself in Athens, Greece, and he's wandering around, and he sees something that really disturbs him. He begins a conversation that is recorded for us in this travel journal written by a doctor named Luke that eventually became part of a book called Acts that eventually got strapped together with a bunch of other documents that became known as the New Testament. Paul was not always the Apostle Paul. He was a guy named Saul who hated Christians, just hated them. And his goal was to stamp out any indication of the church or the way. That's what they used to be known. That's their first name. And and then somehow he became a Christ follower. And not because he read the Bible. There was no Bible to read. He became a Christian because something happened. Okay, so here's the conversation. And my goal today is not to try to convince you that anything is true. My goal is today just for you to hear someone tell people who know nothing about Jesus. What would he say to those people to tell them about Jesus? Somebody who's heard nothing about it before. Because in this conversation, you get to the very heart, this, this point, this, this starting point of the Christian faith. So we'll jump in at Acts chapter 7, verse 6. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Skip down a little bit to verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, by day with those who happened to be there. So God-fearing Jukes, <laughs> Jukes, God-fearing Greeks, you got to watch what you say. God-fearing Greeks are uncircumcised Greek people who are identifying with the Jews. And they go to the synagogue. They want to be part of it. They're just not circumcised ready to be part of it, right? So Paul's walking around and he's looking to engage people in conversations about religion. So we figure Paul's a weird guy, right? Who else is going to do that? But Athens is the perfect place. Athens is just loaded with philosopher peoples. So it's really not hard to do. They, they like to talk about ideas. So he goes to the synagogue and he tells them, this is what I'm all about. And then he goes from there and he goes out to the marketplace and he starts to engage people in conversations about religion. We jump down. A group of Epicurean, and Epicureans believe that no one can figure out anything. It's all indiscernible. So just go ahead, have a good time, have another glass of wine. It's a very popular philosophical belief, right? Because it's, I don't have to be responsible. I'm going to just get drunk. And then he was with Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. Stoics are the kind of people who would say, you give us enough time and we're going to figure everything out. So Stoics and Epicureans, he's with them together and he began to debate with them. So he finds a a bunch of people who are willing to engage with him in this deep kind of conversation. 
And then some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They called him a babbler because they had never heard any of this before. It didn't sound familiar. It was all brand new. They were starting from the beginning. And the foreign gods thing, well, that's a big deal. There were so many gods in Athens that you couldn't even keep track of them all. But if you were going to introduce a new one into this culture, you needed to get permission. Because they already had problems in the past with people coming in and teaching new ideas. And the new ideas, well, they, they get followers. And as soon as you have a follower, you have an opposition. It seems that's the way it worked. And they would split the city and there was big problems. There'd be civil war. There was families splitting apart. Houses burned. This had happened in the past. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Again, everything that Paul knew about Jesus came from people who knew Jesus. It wasn't from a book. Everything that Paul knew about the resurrection came from people who saw the resurrected Jesus. They didn't read it in a newspaper. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? We don't know this. We want you to start from the beginning. So now the Areopagus, um, uh, the hill of Ares or Mars Hill, it, it, that's how it translates. We hear it differently in different places. In Greek mythology, this is a really important area because this is where Ares was put on trial by the gods for murdering Poseidon's son. This place is a big deal. It's in Greece and you can go visit it. Not now. Later you can go and visit it. This is not a Bible story, okay? This is, this, you can go to this place. You can be there. You can walk in there. You can stand where Paul stood. This is history. Real people in real places having real conversations, real interactions. There is no Bible yet. This is something that happened. And the reason that they took Paul there was because this was a place that they go to get things sorted out. This was a place of judgment. It was a place for civil trials, and it was also a place for broader citywide decisions. So they took the Apostle Paul to this well-known spot to decide whether or not they were going to allow him to spread this new brand of stuff that he had in Athens, stuff that they had never heard about before. So they said to him, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. So for our benefit, and the benefit of the city councilors that are here, would you please start from the beginning? And that's pretty much the greatest news that Paul could get. Here he is now, about 20 years after Jesus, going on to explain to people who know nothing. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are in every way very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. And there's altars all over the city. And they are so careful. And they are so religious. And so organized that they have all of their bases covered. Even up to and including an altar to an unknown God. Just in case they missed any. This was the just in case altar. Who's it for? We don't know. But if that God shows up. We can tell him that we were planning for him to be here. Look. Here's your altar. We didn't put your name on it because we weren't sure of the exact spelling. But it's been here for you, ready and waiting. So Paul uses what's true in basically all religions. Floating around in the religion, there's always some level of 
uncertainty. Here's what I know, but there's a lot I don't know. Can you relate to that? Here's what I know, but there's a lot I don't know. We kind of laugh at those simple Greeks and go, ha, 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 idols, what are you thinking? They really don't know any better, not like me, ha, ha, ha. But we behave in similar ways. And one of the biggest reasons that the church attendance swells at Christmas and Easter, just in case. I don't know, just in case. So some of you have a piece of jewelry that when something bad goes wrong, you need to touch it, just in case. Sometimes we say over and over verses that we learned as children. I don't know how it all works, but just in case. I'm not sure how this whole spiritual world works, right? But I know some different things. I don't know how they go on, but I'm going to hold on to these movie lines. I remember this movie line, just in case. So when, when we're unsure, when a demon comes up, we all know that you're supposed to say, the power of Christ compels you. Right, the power of Christ compels you because we learned that from a movie. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it goes on, but just in case. I hope I've got some magic words that I can use that will make things go the way I want. So Paul recognizes them for what they're doing. Look, I know you're very religious. You know something is out there and it's bigger than you and you don't know exactly what it is. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And he doesn't mean that they're dumb ignorant. He's not trash talking them. What he means is you're guessing. You don't really know, do you? We're guessing a little bit. Unknown means we don't know. And so he says, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Come on over here, because I'm going to take the un away from the unknown God. I'm about to tell you something that you did not know. And he starts, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. The unknown God is bigger than all of your other gods put together. He's the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth. And you might find the most amazing painting in the world, but you will never find the painter in the painting. So it is with this world. We have a fantastic, beautiful, complex world that reflects his glory and the greatness of God. The good news is it reflects his glory. The good news is that you can discover all kinds of things about him in creation. But you won't find him in creation because God is bigger than creation. He just won't fit. His nature is other than our nature. Don't bother trying to build him a temple because he won't fit into it. He goes on, he says, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. And all the gods that you're used to, you bring them incense, you bring them cookies, you bring them milk every once in a while, you bring them some gold, some silver, a nice bowl, some fresh fruit. You're always trying to bribe your gods by giving them a little something, something, a little trinket. You're always trying to get your God to do things for you. You're always trying to trade your favors for his. But the unknown God, he's just not like that. This isn't a God who needs anything from you. This is a God that is self-sustaining. He is a universe-sustaining God, and he needs nothing from you. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Everything else. Everything else that you need and that's good in your life, Paul says, that comes from this massive creator God. And from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
So he's saying that he's a sovereign God. He's tied into the history of every nation and every people group. He's not just a God of your real estate. He's not just a God of your nation. He's not just a God of the north or the south or the east or the west. He's not just a God of the Egyptians or the Persians or the Judeans. He is the God of all creation. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out. And that little phrase, reach out, it translates from the idea of grope around in the darkness. There must be a light switch there somewhere. And look around throughout Athens. There are hundreds of statues and altars for gods. These are God seekers. They want to know, but they've been left with some uncertainty. And the uncertainty is displayed in the altar to the unknown God. But God who created everything knew that. He knew that you would ask questions and that you would seek around. And he knew that in seeking, you might just find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. And then Paul engages these guys with a quote. It's not a quote from the Bible because there's no New Testament, right? There's no, there's no Old Testament for them. They don't care because they're Greeks. He quotes from their own philosophers and he digs into their, their culture and he says, hey, you haven't missed it completely. People from, that you know, they're already saying this kind of stuff. Your poets have bumped into this truth. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. You have touched on part of this, but there's still more to be found. And then he says, therefore, since we are God's offering, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Think about it. You can't make an image that is made of and looks like all the stuff that God made to represent the grand, glorious God that created it all. And in the past, God overlooked, overlooked such ignorance but now. In the past, God understood that people were seeking and looking. In the past, God understood that people were blinded. In the past, God understood that there was darkness. In the past, God understood that people sensed that there was something above and beyond just people. And so that's why they built images and they built idols. That's why they made sacrifices and they burned incense. In the past, God understood the desire to seek for the truth. But now. And as Paul said, but now, he meant as of this minute. He meant now, within my lifetime, the lifetime of Paul, near here, geographically close, just, just a couple of years ago, God has done something. Something happened. Not just for the people of Israel or the people in Athens, but for all people from every nation and every people group. But now. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. When we hear the word repent, we think of repent from sin. And it's not hard to hear things just the way that makes sense to you. But it's an essential skill to learn how to hear things the way that other people are hearing them. Paul has made no mention of sin in this message that he's bringing. When he says repent, we have to strip away what we have been trained to think of. When Paul says repent, he means change your mind. Now that God has revealed himself, now that God is changing things up and doing something radically new, he wants us to think anew, to refresh our thinking patterns. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. They knew he was talking about Jesus because he'd already had um, the conversation with them earlier in the day when he had introduced Jesus. 
God has appointed a man, a God-man that is so wise and so powerful and so insightful that he is qualified and will judge the world. It's an easy thing to say though, right? That's what's going to happen. And so he goes on. He has given proof of this to everyone. Now hold on, Paul. Pause just for a second here. We're talking about religion. There is no proof to religion, right? Only belief. There's no proof to religion, only faith. We try to do the right things. We try to keep the gods happy. We try to take care of even the uncertain. That's why we have an altar to the unknown God. But you're telling us that there is proof? Is there evidence? No, there's proof. You're telling us that the God that made all this stuff, he made all the world and he's bigger than our nation and bigger than this world. He created it all, but he can't be found in it. You're telling us that there's proof. You're telling us that we can have certainty? And Paul says, yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm not in my hometown. That's why I left the comforts of home. Now, in this age, in this generation, God has done something. Proof. And proof moves us from hope so to know so. Hope so, that's religion. Know so, that's confidence. From wait and see to know so, certainty. So tell us. What has God done that we can have that kind of certainty? What's the proof that he has sent a man that is righteous enough and just, en just, just enough to judge the world? It says he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And that's when they sat back and they say, by raising him from the dead. And that's what Paul would say. I didn't read about this. No one has ever written about this yet. I wasn't told by somebody who knows somebody who has a friend. No, I came from the place that this happened. And I know, I've had conversations with, I've, I've had meals with the eyewitnesses that saw and watched and talked and ate with him. I'm here in Athens and I'm absolutely convinced that God has done something on this planet. He has raised a man from the dead. And by doing that, God gave us proof that that man is who he claimed to be. He's not simply a Jew for the Jews. He's a man sent from God for the whole world. And then, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, well, they fell on their knees and repented, and they bought Jesus t-shirts. That's not what happened, right? Because that's sort of the way we think that Bible stories happen. Bible stories go in that kind of a way. But as, but as soon as he mentioned the resurrection, the clouds are supposed to pull back, right? The sun shines more brightly. They tore their clothes in repentance and they put on new pure white garments after they had finished tearing down all their other idols. That's not what happens. This isn't a story. This is a real conversation between real people. The same kind of conversation that you have had and the same kind of conversation that you can have today and tomorrow and next week. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Of course they did. Why? Because when people die, they always stay what? Dead. Oh, seriously. That's where all this is going? You almost had me. That was interesting. This proof is that someone rose from the dead? Get him out of here. 
Dude, we might be a bunch of idol-worshiping Athenians. And yeah, we might have a bunch of stuff that we don't know. But one thing we do know, people don't rise from the dead. Get them out of here. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. So most of the people who heard laughed and said, gotta go. If that's the starting point, then we ain't starting. If that's what we have to embrace to believe this new teaching, then we'll just go right back to that unknowing part. We were okay with that. But a few people said, hey, are you telling me that just a few years ago, over there in Judea, you're telling me that, you're, that you know people, that you've talked to people, You've been with people who witnessed with their own eyes this resurrection. And Paul, he says, yes. And for the first few years, I didn't believe it either. For the first few years, I did everything I could to stamp out this Jewish knockoff cult called the way. And then one day, I met the risen Jesus. So I'm here to tell you, that God has done something in our generation as proof that he knows us. There's proof that God loves us. And better than that, he can be known. So the starting place for the Christian faith is not the Bible. The starting point of the Christian faith is not just believe. The starting point of the Christian faith, whether they told you this in childhood or not, is a question. That question is not, were Adam and Eve really naked? The starting point has nothing to do with animals on an ark or, or how much water it takes to flood the earth. The question, the foundation, the thing that you need to decide whether you are coming to Christ for the first time or you're coming for the 18th time. The question that we need to put into our base camp survival kit is this. You must decide how you feel about this. Who is Jesus? Question one. Not whether or not the Bible is true. Question all those fun debate kind of things that we have. We can talk about that stuff later. But they're a distraction to this question. Who is Jesus? Paul has one opportunity to tell people who don't know anything about the story. And he starts with creation. He starts with the fact that God cares, that God has revealed himself, that God has revealed himself in a man. And if you have a hard time believing it, which of course you do, God decided to prove it to you because he knew we were skeptical. And he raised him. God raised Jesus from the dead because he is Savior and he is Lord of all. That is our starting base camp question. That's the starting point for the Christian faith. That will always be the question of most importance. Regardless of what, you, what happened to your Sunday school faith, and regardless of what happened in your past, regardless of your unanswered prayer, regardless of your questions about whether or not God is always good, regardless of, of, of whether or not you believe God rewards good and punishes evil, these are fascinating questions. And we're going to talk about them all in time. But the primary, the first, and the most important question is, who do you think Jesus is? Once you answer that question, and you'll discover this, as many of us have already discovered, many of those other questions begin to answer themselves. So Paul left the hill that day, leaving them with the issue to wrestle with. Who 
is Jesus. And that's where we're going to leave it today. But the good news is, we're just getting started. I want to give you a quick homework assignment. Because Christianity and, and formation happens through interaction and community. So two quick questions that you can ask, that you can share with people. And I know that you don't want to do it, okay? I already understand that. But if you want spiritual formation to happen, if you want something to go on, you need to interact. Question number one, how and when did your faith journey begin? Question number two, how well has your faith held up under the rigors of life? Tell the truth. Don't try and sound spiritual to each other. It won't help you at all. Tell the truth. What's going on inside there? Does your faith support you or do you have to support your faith? Do you have to apologize for it and to try and make excuses around things? And as you discuss these two questions, it's going to pave the way towards where we are going in the next couple of weeks as we continue together to build our base camp. Let's pray. Kind Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Help us to figure out who Jesus is. Spirit of God, I ask that you would move right now in, in, in helping us with that. Help us to honestly ask that question. And then help us to understand. We believe that true understanding only comes as a gift from God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask for that gift today. Help us to understand and to see Jesus as who he really is. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us today. We pray in your name. Amen. And now, remember that you have been called and named the salt of the earth. Remind yourself of that. Tell yourself the truth. That is your identity. You make a difference in this world because God is at work in and through you. You preserve it and you add flavor to it. As you go now, be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. The more we connect, the better it gets. I want to send you out reminding you that we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered. And we are mission-focused. And our, we are to be on mission. Everyone. Everywhere. All the time.